The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Oh, what a great audience. Let's dim the lights for this next one. Nope, too much. Ah, there it is. Got to get things just right. Like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Tell us what you want to pay and we help you find coverage options that fit your budget. And now, the mood is right. Wait, the lights are back on again. Trudy, can you? And now it's completely dark. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. We all represent the Finsider with a PH on this program. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Finsider Radio. My name is Keith, and I'll be your host until we're off the air at about 11 p.m. Eastern tonight. It's uh, it's good to be back hosting this show. I miss you all. Uh, I hope you miss me, though I completely understand if you did not. That's okay. Uh, we're here now, and I look forward to making a complete ass of myself over the next 119 minutes or so. As always, I'm flanked by my producer, good friend, drinking buddy, and fellow pro wrestling fan, James. James, how are you this evening? I'm good. I forgot about uh, liking wrestling. I always forget that one. It's it's acceptable if you like only the the late 80s, early 90s variety, like me. I, I have no use for it after that point. In fact, I, I'm almost to uh, the point of saying I, I don't really trust people who didn't watch wrestling as a kid. Now, if you watch it as, a, as an adult, I don't, I don't know. I don't really care about that. But I, I think I, mean, I, uh, I, never, I never, I never watched it as a child. My my childhood was all about fishing and football, and that was pretty much it. And okay. swimming and crap like that. That's an important foundation for for all young kids to have. Mine, mine was certainly uh, more TV-ented, as I often talk about. Uh, uh, just you know, well, actually, now that I think about it, I see you've managed to go a few months without upsetting any player wives. Great work there. Yeah, bad. yeah. I still, uh, <laughs> I still don't know uh, where she uh, yeah. she got off on her rant that I was lying, but whatever. Yeah, it's hardly a unique situation. You're not the first. You won't be the last. And uh, I look forward to upsetting these people again in the future. For something I'm, ridiculous, uh, it's, a, it's a goal. Yeah, it is imperative, is what that is. Uh, at, at some point tonight, we'll be joined by our resident Dolphins expert, Chris. Um, he uh, is usually he'll saunter in here sometime within the next few minutes. I I imagine. I look forward to talking to him. We can get him involved He's with a, the topic. I think that's him now. Hold on a sec. Bring him He's in. Is that it you, is. Duke? It is. Hey, buddy. How are you, young man? It's good to have you. I'm excited to uh, do this show. I, I realize it's been close to a year since we've we've done this. I'm actually a little nervous. I, uh, I feel a little bit mush mouth right now, so I have to make sure that I articulate everything uh, and enunciate everything, too. Uh, just uh, a little bit of a... Um, an overview in terms of tonight's topic, some things I want to go over. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, big pimpin' with that uh, rumored deal of about $100 million on the table. Uh, I, I love 
looking at Twitter when news like that comes out because you immediately get two camps of one side loves it and thinks he's absolutely worth that money. And then you have other people who are going absolutely insane over this deal. Almost like you think like that hundred million is coming out of their pocket and their pocket alone. So there won't be any sort of a door-to-door canister collection for that money. I don't think we need to worry about that. Uh, we'll get more more into it. Uh, other things, the NFL Combine is literally just around the corner. So I want to hear from uh, our loyal, loyal listeners and uh, visitors on the uh, website who they're excited to watch, uh, anyone they think should be on the um, Dolphins' radar coming up here over the next few months leading up to the draft, which is the very end of April and early May. I saw Mel Kuyper's second 2015 mock draft was published yesterday, so I'd like to hear from people what they think of it. Uh, I'd like to know whether people think it's weird that Kuyper and McShay always seem to agree on who the Dolphins will draft this time of year. Like, they're always in agreement. There is never... I can't remember the last time that those two had a different pick in February. I'm not sure if it's a sort of uh, gang up effort on their part or if they're just bored. Uh, and then looking forward to uh, next season... And whether this is the year Joe Fielding gets it right and what the Dolphins must do in order to ensure success in 2015. And I hinted at this uh, previously, but we want to talk about uh, what our listeners want to talk about. So give us a call at 347-326-9461 anytime after 930 and, uh, 9.30 Eastern, and we'll discuss whatever you want. You name it, we'll chat about it. And once again, that number is 347-326-9461. James is going to be taking your calls at about 9.30 Eastern time, and then we can chat about whatever you want. And I'd, uh, I just want to make a note that I'd like to thank everyone for listening to tonight's program when you could be watching uh, NBC's The Slap, which I think premieres tonight. Uh, not exactly sure how they're going to get an entire season's worth of episodes off of Storyline, which some guy with massive eyebrows slaps with poorly made child at a birthday party. But that's their problem. It's not mine. So it's a little weird. I I have to say I saw that commercial during the Super Bowl and I just thought like this, this is the end of civilization as we know it. And there's like some big time actors on that on that show. It's not like they found some you know, your typical like '80s slasher movie fair where they just found some some kids who were probably probably living like four to a per, or four people to a one bedroom studio apartment or something. You got some established people on that show. I don't get that, but maybe maybe it'll end up being really good, and I'm just way off base. And final thing I want to note before we get started is uh, I'm actually pleased to announce that this will be one of the last, perhaps the last Insider Radio show uh, without intro music. And the reason for that is uh, my brother's in a pretty high-profile band down in Champaign, Illinois, which is the state in which I live, and I'm looking to get one of their songs as a theme. And uh, in terms of the song, it was either that or uh, something like All About That Bass or something. And so I wanted to go with the original song. So I look forward to that, and that should be a pretty cool addition. And then we can finally be a real radio show, which is the, the goal of it all. So once again, that number, around 9.30 Eastern, 347-326-9461. James's uh, phone manner is second to none. So uh, you'll be in good hands, and we can we can talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. So uh, anything you guys want to mention before we start teeing off on things tonight? 
Don't all talk at once. <laughs> I'm 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 good. I'm uh you pretty much covered uh anything I was interested in. Well well actually I really I'd like to ask you a few things right now because what do you think about this this rumored deal that Ryan Tannehill and the Dolphins have in the works? Like what was your reaction to that when it came through? My reaction to it is given given the number of years, the average is actually lower than what Dolphin got. And the rumor has been all along that uh, Miami would look to give um, Tannehill something along the lines of Dalton. I'm sure uh, Ryan's probably going to go for more guaranteed money up front. So if I'm Miami, I probably try to push. Whereas Dalton's deal, if you break it down, is six or ninety-six, which is sixteen million a year. Uh, but they can walk after after this next year, meaning they've only paid him two two years. Twenty-five million. So if you push Tan Hills out and uh, give him a guarantee, I don't know, thirty-five million over three years, somewhere between thirty-five and forty million over three years, where you can walk after three if things don't work out. That's a pretty good deal from uh, the Dolphins side of things, if you ask me. Um, and, yeah, you know, obviously, if he, if he works out as we hope, then seven years for one hundred, seven, you know, one hundred five, one ten, whatever it winds up being, is is a great deal. Well, a couple it, of things on it. Number one is it's for a franchise quarterback. It's something yeah, exactly. Miami, Miami hasn't had since uh, you know prior to the the actual millennium. So you finally get that guy down here, and I mean, like you said, he's. Yeah, that's technically less money than what the Bengals gave Dalton. And, I mean, no offense to Bengals fans, but I would take Ryan Tannehill's gallbladder over Andy Dalton. I mean, that's – so I don't understand I, – I mean, I, I get that people see that uh, that, um, that that $100 million figure and think, well, he hasn't gotten us to the playoffs yet. So, I mean, why are we, we paying him, like, I mean, and while I, I make fun of Andy Dalton, he's had Cincinnati in the playoffs uh, the past three years, and, of course, they haven't won any of those games, but, I mean, they're they're in the playoffs. So, but, I mean, the, I don't have a problem with the money. Like I, I said, this is the first legitimate, uh, promising future quarterback the Dolphins have had since Dan Marino hung it up, and I was in, you know, I was a sophomore in high school when that happened. So I've seen, I've seen enough of these guys come down the pipe to say we've got a good one now. Pay him, keep him in Miami because the worst, the second worst thing to not being able to find a franchise quarterback is finding a franchise quarterback and then letting him go just because you didn't want to pay him a decent amount of money. And if it comes down that you're worried about the team being strapped for cash, let them figure it out. Let them figure out what they want to do with Mike Wallace. Uh, let them figure out what they're going to do. I and mean, you keep hearing about Randy Sarks being a cap casualty. Uh, let them figure that out. Let them get younger on both sides of the ball and get these guys on their rookie contracts as uh, prime contributors instead of uh, expecting all these high-priced veterans to get it done. But I mean, I don't. I saw some comments on Twitter that I, mean, I couldn't tell if they were sarcastic or not, and I'm sarcastic on Twitter a lot. So I try not to judge people too much. I remember last summer when uh, Rashad Jones was uh, was uh, out a few games at the beginning of the season, and I said, "Don't worry, the Dolphins have plenty of depth in their secondary. It's not a big deal." I was kidding, obviously, but I think I lost like ten followers in like five minutes. 
like people did not want to react. And I was like, so I try not to judge too harshly on sarcasm, but these people were going nuts on Twitter. Some some of these uh, these guys are talking about how it's just a complete waste of money and how he's unproven. And I mean, what what more do you need to see from him aside from the playoffs? I don't get it. Man, Dolphins fans are a a fickle fickle bunch. Oh, such a such a fickle bunch, and I love them, but they they also can drive me nuts at, at times. And I mean, I've met some really awesome Dolphins fans on Twitter, and I've met some some guys who just make me question humanity and, and whether or whether I've I've been pulling for the right team the past I don't know twenty seven years now. Um, I don't know. It, it can be a, a little bit frustrating, but I I mean the, the Dolphins have a good one here. If you're if you're not convinced, that's fine, but don't turn it into an argument where the Dolphins shouldn't pay him. That's crazy because I can assure you that the amount of teams that would line up to get that guy in free agency would be staggering. I there just put a list of uh, just put a list of every starting quarterback between Marino and Tannehill on the live thread. If anybody's interested in a reminder, yeah, that's a nice point of depression. If you want to read through that list, hey, actually speaking of. I just, um, you remember the 2003 Thanksgiving game when Dallas was like the number one team in the NFC and the Dolphins went to, went to, uh, uh, went to Dallas on, on Thanksgiving Day and just beat the living crap out of them? I do, that, that was, uh, that was, uh, oh, what's his name, the receiver, I'm drawing a blank, his big, his big game, um, Chambers. That, that was the big game Chambers went off, right? He was... He had that awesome catch at the back of the end zone, remember, where Fiedler threw the ball and Chambers stretched like what looked like eight feet long, and he caught that ball. I mean, Chris Chambers was my favorite Dolphin for many years, and it was so frustrating. It was just such an incredible uh, amount of talent in that guy, and yet he would just drop some of the dumbest passes I've ever seen in my life. But I, lo- I loved Chris Chambers. I mean, I honestly, I still miss him. I, I get annoyed whenever a Dolphins player puts on number 84. Although, I mean, uh, he's obviously not the first grade to wear that number. But, at the city, I mean, growing up, I really enjoyed watching that guy play. And, yeah, that was a game where he was just unconscious. I mean, he just absolutely slaughtered the Dallas secondary. And I enjoyed it. Because I remember in 99 when Marino just absolutely stunk up that place. That was an awful game. <laughs> Yeah, Chambers. Chambers had uh, he had five catches for ninety six yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, good one for thirty nine, one for six, and one for thirty five. And then Williams ran for another hundred and four yards. It was a good day. Oh, JT also returned a fumble, thirty four yards for a score in that game. Mm-hmm. That was good stuff. That was I and we had those awesome throwback uniforms on that day too. Yeah, that was final good. score forty to twenty one. Yeah, it was a beating. I, I enjoyed every second of it. And little did we know at that time that uh, we didn't know how good we had it. Of course, they didn't make the playoffs that year either. Uh, moving on a, a bit here, and I had to check to make sure uh, uh, a few things in the. I had to check the queue. I'm getting completely uh, reacclimated to all the nuances involved with hosting this show. So there's that. And uh, I regret to tell you people, we don't have 120 minutes. We have uh, 90. 
So hopefully you weren't tied to that last half hour. If you were, I apologize. I'm a jerk. So moving on. This is something I wanted to talk about. But next oh, week sorry. we can make it 120 or 180 or whatever you want it. Whatever. It could be like the old MTV show, 120 Minutes, where we just really go on and do whatever we want. It was one of my favorite shows. It was incredible. Especially if you were into like new music at the time. Cause they, and, but I just love how that show was put together. They would have this big uh, like non-production. It was just like whatever they wanted to do that week. And, and I mean, they, they were talking about the new music, so what did you care what the, the show actually looked like? They had a Jimmy the Cab drive around once in a while. Um, a bunch of people listening to the show right now are thinking, who is Jimmy the Cab Driver? But um, something I want to talk to Duke about, because Duke and I typically every off-season uh, would get together online and watch tape and figure out players we like and, and dislike and whatnot. We haven't been able to do that yet. I figure we'll we'll get to that at some point. But uh, who, who are you excited to, to see at the Combine coming up here, Chris? Philip Dorsett. I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yep, that is my. Amen. Um, that that's my that's my dude this year. Uh, two years ago it was um, Trufant, Desmond Trufant. Last year it was Austin Scary and Jenkins. This year it's Philip Dorsett. And uh, <clears throat> I he didn't he didn't play in the Senior Bowl, but I did get to watch some of the practices. And uh, you know, one of the things I look for with you know, one of the things about him, first of all, is he's a guy that you can replace Mike Wallace with. Whether you replace him this year or next year, he's got the speed to do that. He's the same size as Antonio Brown and T.Y. Hilton, so uh, I'm not worried about size. But I was watching one of the senior bowl practices, and actually if you go to the Dolphins' website, they do an interview with him, and they actually show this play. But I watched it as it happened or on the DVR, and he runs, he puts a little move, runs a nine route, and runs a comeback route that like defies the laws of physics. I don't know how he how he broke down that quickly and it was so fluid and flawless. And, you know, Partline is a very good comeback runner. He's he's very good in and out of his breaks. Wallace is not very good at that. But with the routes that they were running this past season, Philip Dorsett would excel in that because he's got that speed and he's gonna turn the hips of so many cornerbacks. Yet he so fluidly came out of that break, and the only reason the cornerback even challenged him was because he was so far behind trailing him when he ran the comeback that he was already in position to to, to defend it. Had he actually been uh, closer on his hip, he would have, he would have been you know, five yards past him downfield. So that just that sold me right there. It's like that guy can run routes. Um, he's got the speed. He practically, you know, in interviews and stuff, he practically begged Dennis he needed. Dennis Hickey to draft him, so yeah, he needs to be on the team. So not only are you you in, interested in watching him work out, but you want him in Miami. You want him to stay in Miami. He, he needs to stay. Yes, um, just he he wants to be here for one thing. That that's I mean he's gonna he's gonna want to be wherever he goes, obviously, but he wants to stay in Miami. Miami wants to. They would love to get out of Mike Wallace's contract if nothing else. Got a guy to replace him here. Um, he, I, you know, I've not watched a lot of tape on him. I've tried to find some, but some of what I've seen, he looks like he would excel. He's very quick, and I think that's one of the things that people about Mike Wallace don't understand is Mike Wallace is super fast. I believe it was um, either Patrick Peterson or someone in an interview I read said he had crackhead speed. Um, <laughs> he said they're fast, 
there's really fast and there's crackhead speed. And he said, Deshaun Jackson and Mike Wallace have crackhead speed. But in this offense, unless you're running a go route, that deep speed doesn't really matter. What you need is quickness and shiftiness. And that's part of what Miami doesn't have at receiver. They don't have a guy that can catch a short pass and make a couple moves, get up to top speed in two steps, and, and do that. I mean, you watch some of you watch some of those smaller receivers. Watch Antonio Brown work. It's not that he's just running deep all the time. It's the fact that he can take a you know a little five yard route and then you know make a couple moves and get twenty yards out of it. And that's the kind of player that I see from Dorsett. And he would work great on those wide receiver screens that we try to run all the time. Um, those little short hitch routes, uh, just just. Everything he 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 will work in those uh, in this system so well, and I believe Tannehill would would love throwing to him. And you know we've seen and we've seen comments on the site and other places. You Miami need guys that can take a short play and turn it into a long play. Uh, you don't necessarily have to throw these forty plus yard bombs all the time. You need to have these guys that can make people miss and do things. We have a guy that can do somewhat in Jarvis Landry. And a guy like Philip Dorsett will absolutely enhance that. And just, yeah, it, it's, in my opinion, it's just a win win situation. I agree. Uh, another thing is, you watch him play, and you can't help but think how, how well he's complimented Jarvis Landry. I mean, you just, you he brings that raw speed, and that's the that's how I typically define a guy who can, who can move that quickly. I mean, that guy just has raw wheels going on, and he's a lot of fun to watch. I know James is a big fan of him because James likes, James likes pretty much anyone who plays for, for the U, but I mean, I'm with you that uh, I, I'm hooked on that guy. There's a couple of, of uh, Miami. All the, actually, I'll go ahead and preface uh, any other comment I'll make by saying I'm a big fan of all of the big-name Miami prospects coming out in this draft. You know, I, I like Perryman. I, lo- I love Eric Flowers. I have to say that I think Eric Flowers is way underrated right now for some reason. I can't figure out why because I've seen the other offensive tackle prospects available in this draft, and I think Eric Flowers is right up there, and I'm not really sure why why he's, he's getting overlooked by some. I I think that'll maybe change over the next few weeks. It could change as soon as uh, next weekend for all we know. But I'm a big fan of these guys. I love Perryman. I know a lot of people have questions about his size. Uh, especially playing in the in the playing inside linebacker in the in the uh, defense that was going on right now, but I like him. I like him a lot. And one thing about these guys, especially Dorsett, is I saw the same thing two years ago with Trufant. I'm going to see the same thing with Dorsett. He came into this draft uh, process at the beginning, kind of February, beginning of January. Start looking at this stuff. Uh, I do that mock draft simulator on fanspeak.com. He was like the 250th ranked prospect, seventh round, all of that stuff. CBS Sports, which is the draft board that I typically like to use when I do mock drafts, had him as a fourth round pick. He's now moved into third round range. He's going to move into second round range. And when he puts a 4 2 something on the board, he's going to be first, late first round range. And I saw a comment uh, on the site. Uh, last night about um, about that the tweet that Philip Dorsett uh, said about wanting to stay in Miami, and someone mentioned, well, you know, first round may be, you know, maybe a little high for just the guy that's a slot receiver. I, I believe he's more than that. But if Tavon Austin can go in the top ten, 
who was an absolute bona fide nothing but slot receiver. And Philip Gorsett can. And that's my prediction that Miami's going to do. I'm hoping a team like Carolina um, really wants an offensive tackle, which they need, and they'll be one available at 14, and they will trade down, get an extra second-round pick, and then with that 25th pick or whatever, Miami's going to take Philip Dorsett. And it's going to shock some people because, oh, I can't believe that. But uh, uh, they'll they'll get over that as soon as he steps out on the field. So that's my prediction. Miami trades down and picks Dorsett late first round. And I can't say I have a problem with it. I mean, there's a, a couple of draft scenarios I really like this year. And there's only a couple I'm firmly against right now. I mean, I'm listening regardless. And uh, I have to say that I'm even interested in a lot of the offensive linemen available in the first round, although I suspect that there's going to be a run on those guys. You've seen uh, a couple of people have graded down, uh, like Brandon Scherf, because they think that he's a, a guard and not a tackle, even though, I, I mean, he's certainly big enough to play a right tackle. He's enormous. But I think that the success of a guy like Zach Martin last year will will get people thinking uh, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more, I guess you'd say, openly when it comes to these uh, these tweener type offensive linemen. Even though it's weird to call a guy who weighs like 320 pounds a tweener, but uh, Duke, I don't know if uh, you're up for it, but um, I'd like to uh, get uh, some. Uh, additional uh, insight regarding the draft and uh, maybe uh, someone who can comment on uh, Philip Dorsett as well. So uh, we'll bring in our friend uh, Lewis from uh, Miami Lakes. Is it Lewis or Luis? It's Lewis, man. Thank, all right, good. I was wondering about this the other day. That I mean, all the times we called in last year, I just thought that I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not uh, mispronouncing his name because then that just makes me look even more stupid than usual. <laughs> no, no worries, man. Good so, to see you guys uh, back in action. Yeah, I, it feels good. Uh, I, I'm excited. It's just, I feel a little bit shaky tonight just because uh, I forgot how quickly some of this stuff moves. Uh, getting uh, back to the whole draft talk, did you hear uh, Duke's feelings regarding Philip Dorsett? Yep, and I actually was thinking about that just a few min- a little while ago because the the Finsiders with an F were speaking about exactly what it was that Dorsett brought to the table, his speed, his quickness, his lack of size. And that was what is actually on my mind right now because it seems like there's a little pattern here with the Dolphins is that they don't really seem to care about size so much. Which, which is important. I think that's a good thing. I think that, especially coming off the the last I mean, major regime we had with Bill Parcells, and only drafting guys if they fit like a certain uh, I hate using the term size mold because that became a real like uh, a, a figure of speech on Twitter and whatnot, and it drove me nuts. But I mean, that's pretty much what it was. Like you had these these minimum height and weight guidelines, and and I feel like we missed out on a considerable amount of talent as a result of those guidelines. So I like the fact that we're more cavalier in our scouting right now. This Dorset is, what, 5'9"? 5'10", I think. He's right at 5'10". 5'9". I mean, the the previous regime wouldn't touch that guy with a 10-foot pole. They wouldn't care if he ran a 4'1". They'd be like, yeah, whatever, too small. I, I like, and I... So I like the fact that we get these receivers. I mean, I think Jarvis Landry is around 5'11". It would be nice to get a bigger red zone type guy. Um, 
ideally, I mean, there. If I could clone Jordy Nelson, I'd love to bring him down to South Florida because I watch how that guy does work in the red zone. I just think, like, man, can you imagine what Ryan Tannehill would do with uh, a receiver of that caliber and skill? And, uh, right, that's what, and that's what I pretty much meant because that's what I've always – that's the one thing that we as a Dolphins fan base have pretty much been begging for to give to Tannehill other than a decent offensive line. We've wanted to give him somebody that he can count on to help him out when he really needs it, whether it's in the red zone or whether he just needs to throw up a prayer and say, come down with the football, please. That's what players like Tony Romo have in Des Bryant. That's what players like Brady have in Gronk, and that's A.J. Green, Julio Jones, guys like that. Somebody you can just say, I have nowhere else to go, make something happen. And usually it's a bigger receiver winning a jump ball. And that's why we've said that Wallace does not qualify for that kind of a position. Yeah, we saw him give up on a, a few jump balls this year and last season, so I, I've seen a, about enough from him in that department. I'll ask you this first, and I'll ask Duke, because I value uh, uh, insight from, from both of you guys. You guys are uh, well-versed when it comes to this stuff. Um, we're talking about these big-body targets. Who do you like in this draft? You want to go first, Duke? Oh, you go ahead, man. All right, well... I'm, admittedly, I'm not the best draft prospect, but I have been speaking with somebody from my website who is really good at checking this stuff out. And a name that, and this is going to be very controversial because of what is going around him off the field, but he is really in love with Doriel Green Beckham. <laughs> I'll let you do his too. Well, I don't even have to like, He's like he's six five. He's really fast. He's got the ability to fight for the football. He's got explosiveness off the line. All of these great things. He could be the guy. Jeff Hyde on Twitter. He's the guy who works for my site. Said that he could be the next Calvin Johnson, and he honestly believes that. However, the issues around him about the possible domestic violence. Uh, I think there's some uh, drug abuse in there somewhere. I mean, th- there's a lot of red flags flying up everywhere around him, and that's the one thing that makes me nervous. He could either be a first-round draft pick or he could go undrafted, depending on if someone is willing to take on that baggage. And for us, I would, I'm, I'm wary, but at the same time, I really, really, really want to give this guy a chance because lately the team has not been necessarily shy about something like that. Because we've learned recently that Anthony Johnson was called out by his LSU coach for not caring about anybody but himself, and yet he's a Dolphin. Chris McCain was booted off his college team, and yet here he is, he's a Dolphin. So for someone like Beckham, I would be willing to give this kid a chance, considering the amount of talent he has. He's big, he's fast, and he fits exactly what it is that Tannehill needs. Somebody he can just throw up a prayer and say, help, I don't have anyone else to go to. I think he's going to be a first rounder, and the, I mean, he he piqued my interest when he was at Mizzou, really before a lot of his problems started. I just remember thinking, like, man, who is this guy? And that's when uh, he caught, not to speak for Duke, but I know that's when he caught his attention as well, because we we were talking about, uh, we'll just call him DGD because we sound like total wannabes when we do things like that, but. Um, we um we watched a bunch of his tape this time last year, and I remember we were just thinking, like, man, this guy is ridiculous. Um, 
you, you'll see the comparisons to the bigger, faster receivers. Calvin Johnson's an obvious one. What really caught my attention, though, and really made me think just because it, it touched a nerve in that I remember when this happened, somebody compared his situation to Randy Moss's in 1998. And um, I just remember thinking, like, oh, man, because, uh, well, to – give background anyone who's listening to this and is either too young to remember that maybe just wasn't paying attention at the time uh i remember seeing like some clips of randy moss playing i remember they're showing some marshall game and he caught some ball and was dead to rights and outran like the entire team and didn't and like humiliated them in the process where it it just looked like a grown man playing with children i remember thinking like and the first thing that came to my mind is why is this guy playing for marshall I mean, not, nothing to nothing uh, against that school, but I mean, six four receivers who run off four two typically are playing uh, for the the big time uh, universities. And then I come to see that he was a he was a Notre Dame prospect, and then he got in a fight, and then I think he was with Florida State, and Florida State caught him. And for, for mid '90s Florida State to not want something to do with a player is quite an indictment. That's a mess because that school would, would, I'm convinced, would take anyone who could run a 4-3. Character is uh, irrelevant at, with that school at that point in time. No offense to the Florida State Seminole fans, uh, although I think most of them are probably agreeing with me right now. So you go ahead and you, you compare that situation to what uh, Green Peckham's got going on right now. Now, I'm not saying he's Randy Moss level because when Randy Moss came into the league in 1998 and just like the, that first few uh, first few weeks, first few months of the season, people were like, who is this guy? And I remember he had, what, like three catches for three touchdowns on Thanksgiving Day against the Cowboys. Uh, we keep coming back to the, the three touchdown Thanksgiving Day games today. Yeah, three catches and three touchdowns. And if you ever see a clip or clips of that game, he catches one ball where every, literally every defensive back for Dallas has the angle on him. And Randy Moss just runs up the sideline and just blows past all of them. It's one of the most ridiculous things you'll ever see. It's just he just changed that team, and that's when people really notice. And I think at that point you had these teams thinking like, are we investing too much in character? Because we just, I think I forget what number Randy Moss went. Was it like number eighteen overall or something? A guy who's six four and runs a four two and has like a forty inch plus vertical leap should not be going number eighteen overall. I know that much. Especially in the 1998 draft. I managed to be going number two overall, but really, should be going number two overall. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Twenty-first pick. Twenty-first pick. Okay, twenty-first. My memory was a little off on that. I knew it was in that in that range. Because Jerry Jones,
which is ridiculous. Yeah, I, yeah, that's his own like babysitter entourage, which is amazing. That's oh, yeah. just, that's dangerous precedent. It's like he, oh. he, he, he even lived he, he even lives in a house owned by some prominent doctor that's friends with Jerry Jones. It's all all in an all in an effort to keep an eye on him twenty four seven best they can. That's amazing. Can you imagine like drafting a guy and you think like, okay, what are we gonna need for him? Um, well, you're going to need a, a, a group of stealth babysitters to get together and make sure that this man behaves himself and he doesn't get thrown out of uh, the, the nicest mall in the Metroplex. So, I mean, I, I mean, hey, I whatever want, you need. Whatever. I don't want to turn this into a Des Bryant thing. I mean, I feel bad for him that that, that catch was overturned, even though that's technically, well, unfortunately, it's the right call. It, it's a bad rule. So... Um, that's why it Hon- might be. Yeah, honestly, I wasn't that heartbroken because then I got to listen to Skip Bayless cry about it. So that made me happy. Oh, that guy is such a jerk. Um, <laughs> I hope he falls in. I'd love to have him come and like, hello. Get that phone. Actually, I would just spend 10 minutes listening to James talk to him because James is a big fan. So. <laughs> I just I can still remember when he got run out of Dallas and how much everyone around here hates him. Well, if he causes any problems with us, I'll just go get Troy Aikman. That'll uh, that'll settle it. That's hilarious when he talks about Skip Bayless. That's that's the funniest shit I've ever heard. I will send I will send Troy and Papa John after that guy if he comes after us. So <laughs> not really a concern of mine. Uh, all right. Oh, you like Dorio, uh, or you like Green Beckham? Uh, I like Green Beckham, but again, it's like but you guys were talking about Moss and Bryant, but I don't even think those two had the kind of allegations that were hovering around Green Beckham right now. I mean, he's he's got some really touchy stuff. I mean, domestic violence, marijuana abuse. I mean, that's some touchy stuff these days. Like, really took touchy. The domestic abuse stuff is obviously the worst of the the lot. I mean, if a, right. if a guy is smoking weed, uh, it's certainly against league rules. That I don't really take that as a character concern. I have an issue if he needs, continues to do it when like Josh. Uh, yes, Ma- like Moss, the whole Josh both, both, both Moss and Des Bryant have both been accused of domestic violence, and Moss was definitely accused of uh, smoking weed. So there's not a big difference between the three of them. Well, was okay, well. was was Moss's domestic violence because he like didn't he like run over some uh, some uh, no uh, no he's paparazzi. he smacked around one of his baby mamas or something I don't know what the I don't remember the full story but I remember I remember that going down and then he settled he settled somehow made that go away with money as most of them do well, I never I knew that. I can't support any of that. I mean, I, as to for whether whether it's true, I don't know. But I mean, that's you put it you put it really well. That's touchy stuff, especially right now. I mean, that's something where in the past, I mean, it just made your team look bad. Now it's something where you keep up that that behavior in the NFL, I mean, you're gone. I mean, what? I mean, it's there. There are two strikes in your out policy. So I mean, that's a scary thing, and you have to think: Are you? Are you willing to roll the dice and invest a first-round pick in a player like that? Because unless that's the dangerous part, mm-hmm. that's the, that's definitely gambling. You're you're definitely uh, playing with fire on that one. I can't think of any more cliches to illustrate how risky it is. But well, the, some of the stuff I've read on, on Green Beckham, I, I read this week is um, 
of course, there's the weed stuff. There was a, one one guy on Twitter I read said, "Take all if you're I said if you're concerned with Josh Gordon, add domestic violence, and that's the door to Green Beckham." I said, "Very risky for teams." One of the things that I read was that he, the, the one was that he was accused of pushing a girl down a flight of steps or four steps or something. There I think a, the story. I think the story was that he pushed his her roommate out down the steps while he was yeah. trying to get to the girlfriend. And there was a, there was a, a text or some other kind of message from the girlfriend to that party that they needed to keep it quiet, otherwise his career would be over. Uh, there was a rumor that he apparently drug his girlfriend by the neck out of a, a room somewhere, um, but none of that really has been proven or substantiated, other than just rumors. There was a text or something that kind of hinted at that. So. Doyle Green Beckham is—he's going to win on the days you don't get to watch the com- combine. He's going to win in the interviews. If if he flunks out the interviews, it doesn't matter if he goes out there and runs a four zero. Teams are going to you know steer clear of him simply because of what happened with Josh Gordon. I mean, he's a phenomenal talent, great player, can't stay on the field. You know, why, why would you invest in a guy, especially if you interview him? You know. And he shows up, and you know he's kind of. They're going to look for some contrition. They're going to make sure he he needs to sh- you know show them that look I was I made some dumb mistakes. I'm a different person now. That's going to help him. That's the kind of stuff he's going to have to do. As far as I don't know that he'll be a first rounder, but if he is, it's because he won in the interviews. If he's not, it's possible he could fall through the uh, third day of the draft. And if he's there on the third day, I wouldn't mind the Dolphins taking him. I don't know that I would want them to take him earlier than that. And even though I'm a fan of him on the field, um, you know, just that kind of stuff is going to, you know, like I said, it's a touchy subject. Now, the good news for him is he was at Oklahoma all year. He stayed with the team. He didn't get to play. There was no news coming out of there other than whether or not he was going to enter the draft. So he's kept his nose clean for the most part over the last year. Um, so maybe that's helped him out a little bit. As far as guys that I like, aside from him, um, I like some of those first-round guys. I like Jalen Strong, Kevin White, a couple of those bigger targets like that. Um, a couple of the guys that they may target later in the draft. One that I'm kind of interested in is Austin Hill. Um, had a great sophomore season. Tore his knee up his junior year. Struggled his senior year with some stuff. But the guy has some talent. Um and another guy that I think might, if my kind of thought process is, if Miami completely cleans out, cleans house with the receivers, they're going to go out and get a guy, a bigger target in free agency, a guy like um, Michael Crabtree or Keen Nix, a guy that can be that target, but they're going to get someone that's going to be fairly cheap, someone that they might can get on a one, two-year deal. If that's the case, then they're going to look for a guy like Dorsett, say, we're going to use this guy, and then they go later in the draft, probably on the third day, and get a guy like, say, Desmond Lewis. Um, And I can't remember what school he plays for, but he's kind of a a big athletic target that needs some refinement, needs some development. They go out and get a guy like that who doesn't have to come in and start immediately, let Dorsett or whoever and Landry kind of be the main targets, the tight end group be the main targets, the other receiver, the free agent guy, let him be a target, and then work a guy into the rotation. That's kind of how I feel they're going to do it. Um, I don't know that I would. 
I still think they should double up pretty early on receiver, but it depends on who's available and where. And I could see them doing that. So, I mean, I, I you know I think a guy like Crabtree would help out because I think honestly I think he's play, would be playing with a better quarterback and a more accurate quarterback. Uh, last last note on um, on this, and then I mean we'll keep it on the draft. So we'll we'll alter it slightly though. If you're picking at number 14, do you think the Dolphins should use it on a receiver? And if not, what position should they target? I, I would go with receiver. Um, I mean, to me, it's going to depend on the tight ends in this draft. Uh, I don't think any of them are really first-round worthy. Um, they've, they've got some good talent, a couple of guys at the tight end position. But if I'm Miami, I'm really looking at a skill position player at at 14. I know a lot of people are like, well, we need a defensive tackle, or we need a linebacker, or this and that. But, I mean, look at who you think will be available at 14. You know, who's there that you would? I mean, would you want to take um, any of those inside linebacker prospects uh, that high up? I, I just I don't know. Would you want to take a guy like Danny Shelton, who I think could be a good player, but would he have the same impact as, say, Kevin White or Devontae Parker? So, you know, if one of those guys are available, and my my kind of hunch is I think Dennis Hickey's going to go into it, he's going to have like three or four payer, players pegged, but I, if they're there at 14, I'm going to take one of those guys. If they're not there, then he's going to try to trade down. I, I really don't see tremendous value I mean, you've got Brendan Albert, who's going to be coming back from injury, but when he comes back, he's going to start. You're not going to put him on the bench. Same thing with Juwan James. I don't know that I'm going to draft a guard at 14. So, I mean, it just depends who's available, you know, and, and what position. I don't know that there's a safety available there that's worth that pick. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of mock drafts saying take Shaq Thompson there. I, I mean, I don't know that does he fit. If you put him, is he a weak side guy, or do you move Jelani Jenkins? I mean, there's just a lot of questions at 14. It's almost like this draft was designed to either have a early pick or a late first round pick. Nothing in the middle. That's where Miami is. So, at least for what we need. So, I'm thinking it's going to be a receiver at 14, or maybe a cornerback. And if one of those players that they want is not there, they're moving out of that pick. And real quick, who's your preferred receiver? Like, if you, who in, in ideally, who is the guy you're taking at number 14? Um. You know, there's a lot of – I've read a lot of stuff about Kevin White that he's being overhyped, he's being underhyped, whatever. If he's there at 14, I think he'd be a good pick. I mean, he's – I mean, you look at – you know, you look at the touchdowns that Mike Wallace scored. He scored 10 touchdowns. Only one of them was over 20 yards. All of them were within the red zone. They were um, they were possession receiver type plays. I mean, they weren't just like, this guy is so fast we can't catch him. These are just guys – it was – plays that, you know, revolved around him fighting for balls or whatever else like that. So if if you're looking for that type of offense, go with a guy that can win at jump balls, a guy that's going to make those tough catches. And in my opinion, at that spot, Kevin White's the guy. And I would put Devontae Parker closely behind that, Jalen Strong a little bit behind that, and, and I, I would go with that. But, yeah, Kevin White's the dude that I think if you want to make a – Get a number one type receiver for the offense that we're playing. That's the dude. That's the guy. How about you, Lewis? What do you think? 
Well, for me, it really is no contest about this. I'm taking a wide receiver, and I pretty, I've pretty i been saying for the past few weeks now on my show and on Twitter and pretty much everywhere I can get a hand on it that I'm, I really just want to give Tannehill some, some good weapons. I mean, we've been complaining about this for as long as we can remember now. He's had no offensive line, and that can be fixed. We think Billy Turner is going to take over at right guard, and then Shelly Smith, I guess, is going to hold down the fort. I guess, I don't know, hopefully. And hopefully that would solidify that issue. And then the only thing that's left is that we need to give Tannehill some good weapons. I mean, Hartline is okay. Gibson is okay. Matthews has fallen out of grace with the coaches, so he's okay, I guess. We don't know what we're going to get from Matt Hazel. I think he's going to be good one day, but for right now it's not good, it's not good enough. So that leaves Wallace, who we're not sure is going to be around, and Landry. So technically, we only know for sure one wide receiver. And I honestly don't see Crabtree coming here because, like Wallace, Crabtree has some diva in him. And we apparently, I wouldn't want to replace a diva with another diva. That's just me. Well, and my, well, before we go on with that, the, the, the thing I have with him is he's not going to get a big deal. I mean, some team might throw money at him, but we're talking about basically a one-year prove-it kind of deal. I think he would, I think he would shut up long enough to to earn his money. So, I mean, you know, Hakeem, you look at kind of what Hakeem Nix did last year with the Colts. I think that's what you would get from from Crabtree. I, I don't think anyone's going to offer him a big contract. So, if he comes on like a one-year, one $5 million deal, that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about. You know, if, if he wants, you know, five years, you know, if he wants a Mike Wallace type deal, then nobody's going to take that. So, it, it depends. His market's going to be limited, I think. And, uh, you know, something might overpay for him, but I think he, he's not going to be signed early on. And the longer he waits, the better chance you know Miami might take a chance on a guy with a with a short, you know, one maybe two year deal uh, that they could get out of something like that. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I just think he, they would be willing to take a chance on, on a simple deal like that. Okay, well, you, well, if you make the assumption that his personality will be kept in check because he's not sure if he's going to get his money, then, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that because as long as he keeps his mouth shut and just behaves himself, fine, go for it. Let's see what you can do. My only issue is if some, he, he decides that he decides he's Michael Crabtree and he's, he should be getting the ball more, then we're back to square one, except Crabtree doesn't have as much speed as Wallace does, so we technically downgraded in that, um, in that area. And well, whether we like, yeah, yeah so they they're, they're going to use a stopgap receiver. I mean, they need a veteran guy. I don't think there's really, I don't think there's really a lot of guys in this draft that are going to come out and just blow the doors off like the 2014 draft did. So I think they're going to look at a veteran presence and kind of work in work in a, a draft pick into into that other slot. I mean, they're going to need they're going to need bodies out there if they get rid of Hartline and Gibson anyway. And, you know, they're going to bring Matthews into camp if he doesn't make it. I mean, like you said, if they get rid of Wallace, too, they've got one receiver. So they're going to have to get a veteran out there somewhere. And I think that's what they'll do. They'll draft some guys and just kind of work the ball around, but they're going to get cheap guys. And say, so, right, well, you know, my philosophy is draft a guy early, bring in the veteran, let, let the young guy kind of learn and work his way up, you know, earn the reps. And then, you know, the veteran guy, you release him after his one year and thank him for what he did and then let the other guy start. So that would be my philosophy, and I hope that's what they would do. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. I hope it wasn't be too too confusing earlier. So I apologize for that. 
Well, that's what I'm hoping for then, because I want to take a wide receiver at number 14, and if we have to, we'll take a wide receiver next year if we can, because I'm I just want Tannehill to have weapons that he can count on. I'm tired of Tannehill having to be perfect with his accuracy, and even then, it may not even be enough. That game against New England absolutely broke my heart because two touchdowns dropped in the end zone deep. I felt so sorry for him. I really did. Like I, I wanted, I wanted to cry for him because, and I think he was getting ready to cry because every time he saw a pass drop, I think he wanted to just lay down and do the Brady thing. Uh, yeah, and seriously, they must have put the hex on Miami because even though we won the first game, he had that one rollout pass to Wallace that Wallace could have got his foot down. You know, we've already dealt with that, but I think he could have got his foot down. He had Deion Sims drop one that hit him perfectly in the hands. He had those two drops. I mean, that's. Uh, you know, that's four touchdowns against New England that will drop. I mean, on a deep it, pass. It, it we got to make that deep, We got to make the distinction. Yeah, it's not even his fault. Yeah, I mean, those were hit the receivers in the hands. And, you know, the Wallace one's a little tougher, but for $17 million, he needs to get his other foot down. So you both agree that it's got to be a receiver at 14. I do not disagree with that. On something we can get to later because there are some um, other popular theories out there. While you guys agree on receiver, ESPN's uh, uh, draft jockeys both agreed that it's going to be a cornerback. Yeah. Which is, uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. I was interested, well, I got to give props. There's a a guy I talk to on on Twitter often. I I consider him a, a Twitter friend, which sounds impersonal, but his name's Zach. And Zach sent me a mock a couple of weeks ago that had the Dolphins at number 14 taking Wayne, the corner, out of Michigan State. And I remember thinking, like, hmm, that's different. That's novel. Okay. And now, all of a sudden, it's it's becoming a, a popular pick. So I definitely give him props. He's the first guy I saw who had that out there, and all of a sudden, now it's gangbusters. So what do you guys think? I mean, are you familiar with that guy as a player enough to – even comment on that. If not, that's fine. But the no question. I'm not familiar with the player, but I, I wouldn't be upset with a cornerback pick if there was one. If they felt the value was there, um, I, I, I just haven't kept up with the cornerbacks much from this draft. I still believe in Jamar Taylor, and I'm kind of looking back on it. They never should have signed Cortland Finnegan to begin with. To me, that. Uh, Looking back on it now, the reason I say that is because you brought in some guys, and he was basically kind of a hedge or bet. Like, well, if the young guys take take him away, take his spot away, that's fine. If they don't, well, we've got a starting caliber guy. But in my opinion, given how things turned out, all he was was a progress stopper. I mean, Jamar Taylor lost reps because – you know, Cortland Finnegan was taking those reps. And even if you don't believe Jamar Taylor's good enough to be a starter, I know there's plenty of fans on the Finn side who don't, and that's fine, but at least you would know. And you still don't know what you've got with him. You don't know what you've got with Davis because they're not getting those reps. And you, and the, the one thought process is, well, they're not good enough to get reps. But you've got to throw a guy out there at some point. I mean, at some point you got to say, all right, you need to earn your spot and the Dolphins went eight and eight. So I mean, what what was there to lose looking looking at it in hindsight? Do we do we go lose do we go six and ten because Marshall was playing and not Cortland Finnegan? I mean so 
from my perspective, they should have been playing him to begin with, and at least this season it's like, well, you know that he's starting capable or not. And so you're still left in that boat, and now you're going to have to draft another guy when there's other positions of need. And, you know, so that – I wouldn't be upset with a cornerback pick, but I just think that's kind of – they've kind of shot themselves in the foot with that position just by the way they've done Okay, hang on a second, Duke. Were you, okay, I need to ask this quick. Duke, were you with us when I brought you on to the show, and you, did I did we talk about Cortland Finnegan when you came on? Um, I don't remember. Okay, well, I'm about to explain why I really think that I I I, I really do disagree with you on this. I respectfully disagree, of course, but I mean, here, and here's why. Again, I've I've always said this. I I wrote an article for you guys. I wrote an article for my site now. <laughs> that I have such a respect for not only players who have this leadership presence, but also somebody who has the ability to pass on their knowledge. I mean, we, we come back, I've gone back to several times now in the past year, and we see that there are two veteran cornerbacks on the team right now, Brent Grimes and Cortland Finnegan. However, we know that Grimes is the best player. When Jamar Taylor and Will Davis ask or talk about, who's helping them, it's not Grimes they bring up. They're talking about Finnegan. Finnegan is the one who has taken them aside, really worked them, given them his knowledge from when he was a star, because your body may break down, but your brain doesn't go away. That's how Peyton Manning's been able to stay alive all these years. So for Taylor, did not look nearly as good in training camp. That Hello? Somebody playing guitar? That's what I heard. It's like suddenly guitar riff. Boom, boom. All right, whatever. Continue. Okay. Well, I'm, when I saw Jamar Taylor and Will Davis, they didn't look really as great in training camp as they as Jamar Taylor did when Finnegan went down. And uh, my reasoning for that is Finnegan had been taking him aside, tutoring him, making him a better player, showing him here's how you do this because, like I said already, your brain doesn't shut down. Your body may not be able to do the things you know how to do anymore, but you can pass on that knowledge. Not everybody can do that. We saw. We were hoping that Danelle Ellerby, under Ray Lewis's tutelage, would become the next Ray Lewis. That didn't happen. So you see that there are not, not every player has the ability to pass on their knowledge. Otherwise, we'd be hearing how Brent Grimes was tutoring these players. There's a reason that Taylor and Davis said that it was Finnegan giving them help and not grind. At least that's and, my you know, perspective on it. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Even if they brought him on the team, that's fine. They could have used him differently, though. I, I mean, looking, I mean, and, and I think Finnegan's going to be a, a cap casualty. I don't see them bringing him, him back. Um, I, think yeah, it was, I, uh, Oscar, I think it was Oscar Hazel on Twitter basically said when uh, he gave up that touchdown to Eric Decker in the final game, he said, I think I watched him retire right there on that play. Um, he was retiring, retiring as he was running down the field, and I think he's going to be gone. I, I think the Dolphins are going to say, "You're not, you're not starting next year." He's going to retire, and that's going to be that. They're going to get out of that money. But I mean, right? But I was play. arguing I the mean, fact that you said that they shouldn't have brought in Finnegan to begin with. I think well, I mean, Finnegan did yeah, a lot I mean, for Taylor. I, I mean, it, it may have, but at the same time, I think you know they they put him out there to start, and it, it cost reps. I mean, he may he may Taylor may have been able to pick his brain or teach him some things, but there's there's no you know there's no better teacher than experience, and so I mean he just he he was losing reps, and so basically he lost reps as a rookie year due to injury, 
and, and, and stuff like that. And he basically, this was his rookie season. So, I mean, he, you're looking at a third-year guy who's, who's playing like a second-year guy now. In my opinion, unless there's just a guy that they feel is just a super-duper stud at 14 um, at cornerback, then you just throw Jamar Taylor out there and say, you know what, it's, you, you do it. And you either can or you can't. If you can't, we'll replace you. If you can, great. I'm just kind of, you know, let the guy play. Don't don't see him like, well, we're not sure if he can or not. We don't really know. Let's go out and get this guy. And, and, and you know, don't don't hedge your bet like that. And that's coaching to keep your job, not coaching to win. But the guy out there and say, look, you know, I, I, I trust my guys to develop you. I've seen enough in you that I believe you can, you can be the guy. Now, if he's still doing injury, you know, being an injury-prone guy, that's one thing. But, you know, just, just give the guy a chance. I mean, he's got the talent. The guy was a projected first-round pick. He was graded higher uh, on NFL.com than Desmond Trufant was. He's the guy I wanted. So, you know, the guy's got the talent. He's got the ability. He's not talentless. He just hasn't had the opportunity to get out there and show it because of whatever. So, you know. So, So you guys, I mean, you disagree on the core of the thing, I think, but do you agree on the Jamar Taylor thing that he deserves uh, I, like he hasn't really worn out his his welcome in terms of being a potential starter. Are you guys okay? Oh, absolutely, with... absolutely not. No, 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 no. He's he, he he. I feel a lot better now with Jamar Taylor being the second cornerback moving forward than I did last year because I still wasn't sure what I could see from Taylor. But after seeing Taylor go, take the field after Finnegan went down after an off season of uh, after a season of Finnegan's tutelage, I saw a completely different Jamar Taylor go out there. Jamar Taylor was not the same Jamar Taylor that I saw in training camp. Yeah. Okay. And if Jamar Taylor if Jamar Taylor is defending Devontae Adams on that fake spot play, he makes the tackle, the Dolphins win that game. Okay. I, I mean, I, I aside. But Taylor maybe, wasn't available, so that wasn't even an option anyway. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just saying that that was more along the lines of, yeah, aside from maybe Vontae Davis. I, as far as the Dolphins go, that I, I've never seen a cornerback that just you know makes those tackles. I mean, I, the only game that I have recorded on my DVR is the Vikings game. There was a play where they run this like swing pass or something. He just drags the guy down the backfield like nothing. I was like, that dude's just a monster tackler. So I like having that physical corner out there. Yeah, so, right. That, that's what I'm saying is that now I feel a lot better with Jamar Taylor moving forward. Assuming he stays healthy, we're good to go. And, no, I absolutely do not think we need to draft a cornerback at 14. I, I think that's ridiculous in all honesty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think ESPN is just putting it out there now because, nope, they don't care about the Dolphins and they're just going to follow the leader with whoever says, do this, do this. I'm sure whenever yeah. some random guy says, here, let's pick Shaq Thompson, everybody on ESPN is going to say we're going to pick Shaq Thompson because they're the Dolphins and they don't care. Yeah, take that, ESPN. I'm glad you brought up uh, Shaq Thompson because, boy, did that guy disappear from – from a lot of first-round mock drafts in a hurry. Yeah. And, I mean, like, I for a while there I was moonlighting over at the the uh, the Dolphins page on Reddit just because I, I find some of those guys to be uh, pretty entertaining. And I got into a draft discussion, and none of those guys know who I am, that I'm affiliated with this website or anything. So, I mean, I would just go out there and just kind of say, like, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? And it's funny, they, I mean, guys would be like, well, no, that's stupid. Like, that's just a dumb idea. And I thought, okay, that's fine. And then some guy was like, we absolutely need to take Shaq Thompson at number 14. And it was, 
And I was like, interesting. Please give me your reasons for for uh, believing that that's the proper course of action. And the guy really couldn't, and, and except for the fact that Thompson's really good on both sides of the ball. I mean, is he a Just running back? Is he a running back? Is he an outside linebacker? I don't know, but he's really athletic, so that's great. And that while that's really impressive, that immediately reminds me of Jason Allen, where I remember people are like, oh, yeah, we took this guy out of Tennessee. He's really awesome. What position does he play? I don't know. Corner, maybe? And then someone else would be like, no, he's a safety. And the other guy's like, no, I think he's better at corner. And at that point, I was thinking, like, does this guy have a position? Like, I'm glad that I mean, we distracted this guy who ran a really impressive time at the combine and whatnot, and he's super athletic. But at that point, the only reason I was familiar with him is because Ronnie Brown ran him over one time in uh, when Auburn and Tennessee were playing in uh, in college. So, um, not in college. So, uh, Yeah, I like whole... freak athletes and all, but uh, we already have a freak athlete, and we have absolutely no idea what to do with him because we think he's supposed to be a defensive end slash linebacker slash tight end slash whatever you want to call him. We all know his name by now. That is the coaching staff's uh, feeling. That's not Right, so what's he going to do with Shaq Thompson? Well, I mean, that's a very good point. But with Deion Jordan, which, I mean, I'll just say, I'll say Baltimore's name. I don't care. Uh, with uh, with that guy, I've actually, when people want to talk about why Joe Philbin should stay and why Kevin Coyle should stay, they, oftentimes I will bring up the point of Deion Jordan. And they think, like, well, well, what's wrong with him? It's the fact that they have chosen time and time again to not emphasize any of that guy's strength except that they like it when he's in coverage. Why are you trying to make him a defensive end? He's clearly not. I don't care if he weighs 270 pounds now. He's still not a defensive end. That guy should be standing up as a pass rusher. I mean, and he brings a unique skill set as a pass rusher if you stand him up. And if you want to go ahead and drop him back in coverage like they did against Detroit and he was defending uh, 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 Calvin Johnson at one point. Oh, man, I almost forgot that guy's name. Uh He's defending Calvin Johnson and looking good doing it. Like it was in the it was in the red zone toward the end of the game. You just think like that's wonderful. But then they'll just bring him back and it's like, well, we can't get him on the field because he's not a defensive end. Stop trying to make him a defensive end. Because then and you get all these people out here and then they start buying into the fact, well, this guy is not a draft bust. No, this is a self fulfilling prophecy in my opinion between the, these two knuckleheads. That these guys go out there and just think like, well. If we're going to go ahead and fit this square peg in a round hole, and if it doesn't work, well, then, I mean, that's his problem. No, that you guys traded up, and granted, you didn't give up that much to get him, but you have a, a guy with a unique skill set. I keep saying that like he's, like he's Liam Neeson or something. <laughs> but the guy, I mean, we've seen flashes where that guy can really play. Put him at outside linebacker and leave him there. Let him Stop. practice there. Stop trying to make him practice the defensive end. He's in pra- he, you stick, you, they tried to stick him at linebacker when he's been spending the whole season practicing a defensive end, and then when he fails, they're like, oh, well, we tried. Guess we're going to go back to our original plan. No, that's not how it works. You're supposed to let him practice at linebacker before you throw him in at linebacker and watch him fail doing it. Of course he's going to fail. You haven't let him try. It's just such a yeah. waste. He's going to be a linebacker, and, and I'll tell you why I believe that. I was watching that Vikings game the other night, uh, and I was watching, I think it was the um, it was the third quarter, and um, it was right after, this, this was like the the series of Deion Jordan. 
he gets the sack, which really wasn't, he didn't really earn the sack as much because Jimmy Wilson pretty much knocked uh, knocked Teddy Bridgewater down and then Deion Jordan just kind of touched him and cleared it up. But on the very next play, he lines up as a linebacker. He is standing, he's not on the line of scrimmage like a rush linebacker. He is back as a linebacker. And you see him drop back. He's in zone. He, there's a dump-off pass to the running back. He closes, makes the tackle, and that was that. And I thought, that dude needs to be a linebacker. That, I mean, I, I don't know how anyone could watch that play. And granted, that's just one play. But I don't know how anyone could watch that play and think, yeah, let's put him at defensive end. I mean, seriously. The guy has, has the size. He, he can do all kinds of things. But when a guy is that size at that weight, can draw back like that into coverage, close on a running back, and make the tackle that quickly, and you know, just just put him at linebacker, and you're done. You know, and you know, against Calvin Johnson, I, I know there was the play in the end zone at the end of the game, but the first time I saw it, he covered him in the slot, and you'll probably never see anyone get a jam on Calvin Johnson like he did. Granted, he's a beast of a dude at six six two seventy, but Calvin Johnson didn't get off that jam very easily. No, nor should he. But, I mean, the, the issue is Calvin Johnson or Deion Jordan elsewhere is a 12-stack-a-year guy. I fully endorse that. Maybe more. He is a freak. And he's something where, like, if he could get some consistency in his life in terms of the position he's playing at, I think you'd see more of that. But you get these coaches who are the smartest guy, guys in the room, and they know clearly more than we do at this point, and that man's a defensive end. And I will say this. When we were watching Deion Jordan's Oregon tape back in late uh, 2012, early 2013, and it was just like a fantasy to think about that guy playing for the Dolphins at that point. Uh, if you had come to me at that point and told me that Deion Jordan, like, we're going to make that guy a defensive end, I'd have been like, no. What are you, why? Why would you do that? You can tell, I mean, his tape screams he's an outside linebacker. Now, if you want to use him as a rush linebacker, do you want to go ahead and even uh, put him in an elephant role? I don't care. That's fine because he can do that. But he is a linebacker. That would be like the – I mean, this is a little bit of an extreme case, but we'll go with it anyway. That would be like the Broncos drop, uh, drafting Von Miller in 2011 and saying, well, you're only like 225 pounds, so we're going to have you gain 30 pounds so you can play DN in our scheme. No, yeah. don't do that. I don't care if he's yeah, gained weight he's done that, but you are absolutely misusing a, a guy who is, I'm sorry to say, he's a lethal weapon. And yeah, he, and, and really, if you look at, uh, in my in my opinion, you look at another guy that's actually currently on the Dolphins that, that kind of did the same thing with a different regime, and that's Cole Misi. Drafted to be an outside linebacker in a 3-4, just never developed the pass rush moves that you see. And when you watch Deion Jordan as a defensive end, he just does not have the, uh, from what I'm saying, just does not have the desired pass, pass rush ability from that position to, to excel. I mean, you watch a guy like Cameron Wake, he's one of the best of the best, and you watch some of the things he does. Watch Olivier Vernon, some of the things he's picked up. And it's like Deion Jordan knows how to do a bull rush, but he doesn't have to rip, doesn't have some of these other counter moves when he's got his hand in the dirt. Now, you stand him up, he can use a little bit of athleticism to gain, to gain an advantage, and it works. But, yeah, the defensive end, he's just not the guy. But, you know, what do we know? Yeah, really, really. we know nothing. But, I mean, that's something that's got to happen. That's probably what I'm most frustrated with regarding this team right now is just the total misuse 
of Deion Jordan. I understand we have other incredibly talented pass rushers in the mix, but Cameron Wake is not a spring chicken. And it's important that you get someone in there who's going to be able to fill that void at some point. And if the team doesn't screw it up, for the most part, it can be Deion Jordan. I mean, you're, I mean, I'm not saying he'd be he'd have Wake's overall tenacity in terms of being a pass rusher, but the guy's plenty skilled in his own right. And you'd get something comparable and something you could put in its place. But they'll end up screw at this point they're just gonna screw it up and then they'll trade him to some other team or for you know, for uh for peanuts and then that guy will go to, go somewhere else and just completely dominate. They'll go and to New England. Yeah, it, 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 they always go to New England. And what's really crazy is they talked about wanting to build this four three offense, four three or four three defense, build this build this four three type defense. And look at the players they have. If they drafted Danny Shelton, you've got a three four defense right then. I mean you don't have to add anything else. You put uh him at nose, you've got Terrence Fiday, who I believe will be a good defensive end, at keep Jared Audrey defensive end. You've got Vernon and Jordan as your stand up linebackers. You can bring Wake in as the nickel guy as a rusher. He's lost a step in coverage, but you can do that. You've got Misi as the kind of a thump linebacker. You've got Jenkins who could be the other inside linebacker. Boom, there you have it. They keep wanting to work this four three and yet somehow they've added three four personnel. It's just it's interesting. Well supposedly they're a hybrid defense. Well they run they run some stuff like that, but yeah, I mean they could just work just work a base three four and be set there and then move move around in the nickel stuff. Yeah, but I mean Vernon's got the athleticism to be a, a uh uh, to, to be an outside linebacker in a three-four, and I think he would do well. I, I was impressed with him, you know, in that uh, Monday night game where he just ran down. Uh, he he read out the jet sweep and just ran down Percy Harder on the sideline for like a gain of nothing or very little. So I was like, yeah, that's that dude's good. So uh, they've got yeah, they've got the pieces. Just makes it work, man. This I don't know. I don't think I don't think because I don't think consistency is really an issue because they have consistently been putting him at defensive end and they would just throw him in at linebacker whenever they felt like it. For all intents and purposes, he has been practicing at defensive end ever since he got here and he hasn't been doing well. So I really don't think that Jordan can succeed as a defensive end because if you've been practicing there all three years, um, all two years you've been here now and you still haven't been able to over, uh, overtake Derek Shelby. Then I don't think you belong there like at all. I don't care how long you practice there; you're just not built for that. I want him as an outside linebacker, period. And supposedly they're gonna experiment with that this upcoming season. But I will tell you this: if I go to training camp this upcoming training camp and I see him lined up at defensive end with Wake and Shelby and those guys, I'm going to be very upset. That would be incredibly frustrating. So uh, we we've come to the point of about. 15 minutes remaining, give or take, in the show. So I want to ask one more question, and we'll go ahead and wrap all this up for tonight. Uh, the other popular position uh, in terms of what people are projecting to Miami at 14 is defensive tackle. How do you guys feel about that one? Uh, maybe. I mean, here's my thought process on the whole deal. And and I, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about actually saying what I'm about to say, but I believe CT and I would agree with this. Um, but I think Miami has just kind of gone about this the wrong way. Now I have no issue drafting offensive linemen 
you know, I think you could plug Brandon Scherf in on this this line and just watch Lamar Miller run for seven yards to carry the rest of the season. But they've gone out in free agency and got these extensive positions like receiver, and then they use the draft to get these lower-valued or less expensive positions. So my thought is, you know, a lot of fans are like, let's go out and get Indominus Sue, and that's that's a great idea and all, but he's going to cost you about $12 million a year. He's going to make a lot. He's going to cost more than the whole team. Yeah, why not sign Jared Audrick, re-sign him, sign a guy like, uh, who's that, the, the pot roast dude, Terrence Knighton, sign him <laughs> for about the same cost to get the two players. That's a little dog. Go out and, uh, yeah, and the, that giant treadmill. And go out, get, go out and overpay for uh, an offensive guard in free agency. Go get Orlando Franklin. Uh, who, who's played in the zone and stuff. Pretty good guard. Has That's a lot of money. Pay them. Well, who you don't, don't have do, money to well, pay with. Well, yeah, but you're gonna, you, you can create some money by cutting some guys. I mean, uh, yeah, you're going to cut some dead weight some, for, for guys that didn't play much. So, you know, you, you find the money, make it work, and don't go out and try to – don't go out and say, well, let's cut these guys so I can go sign Demarius Thomas. Use the draft. Find those guys in the draft – you know, find find your your top receivers. Find your find weapons. Your top playmakers. Yeah, find those in the draft. You're going to have to pay them eventually one day, and I understand that. But get those guys in the draft and use your free agent money on the cheaper positions. Don't do it vice versa. So don't go out here and draft a guard at 14 who he may be a Pro Bowl guard, like Zach Martin was. And Omar Kelly will mean if you were to ask him. Yeah, yeah but the Cowboys already had everything else in place. Exactly. So the Dolphins don't have that. So don't get a guard at 14 while you're paying half of your tax space to a couple of receivers. Draft the receivers, pay the guard in free agency. I mean, why spend $12 million on a free agent receiver that you don't even know is going to work? I mean, we thought Mike Wallace was going to be the guy. And, yeah, he's produced, but, it, it, no, you know, half the fan base is not happy with him. The team's thinking about cutting him. If I pay $12 million for a receiver that may or may not work, when you can pay $12 million for two defensive tackles or, you know, a defensive tackle and an offensive guard, they may not work either. But then you use your, use your draft picks to find receivers, corners, tight ends, whatever, whatever it is that you go out there. I mean, I could actually – I mean, I could see myself, if I was a GM, if they gave me that power for a day I, or, or a draft, I could go out and do it. Nothing but – a playmaker or skill position draft out of this draft and be fine with that. Just that that's my philosophy. So as far as a defensive tackle, if you think that guy is a stud and he's going to be the next JJ Watt or whoever, that's fine. If you think, well, you know, we can get a nose tackle at fourteen and he's gonna help our defense and he'll stop the run, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Santa Hill's out there struggling to throw, you know, twenty five percent of his Deep passes to a guy that body catches and has to be perfectly thrown anyway, or guys dropping the ball or whatever else. You know, well, you know, we stopped the run a little bit better, but our offense still not very good. Who's to blame for that? You know, so yeah, I mean, just no, just not defensive tackle fourteen. 
Yeah, that's what I'm feeling, too. Unless this guy is going to be the next Ndamukong Su, and there's, like, no doubt about it, but there have been doubts about a Jordan Phillips or a Danny Shelton, then no, absolutely not. Not a defensive tackle. We can get Audric back. If we can find some money, then we can uh, bring in Knighton, and we're going to have to pay Clay, so we're going to have to find even more money. I'm not exactly a fan of getting rid of Wallace just yet because – his 12 million cap hit is not going to, it's only the most we could do is get rid of half of that. And the rest of the other half is going to be dead money. So I mean, that's only yeah, 6 I mean, million. You can get, as far as that goes, the Dolphins can get rid of guys that were minimal contributors and save 20 million off the cap. I mean, Randy Stark. Okay. But let's, him. okay. Let's get rid of the obvious ones. We're going to get rid of Ellerby. We're going to get rid of uh, Wheeler. We're going to get rid of, who else? Who do you? Have? Who else do you have here? Brandon Gibson, uh, Gibson. Cortland Finnegan, uh, say Randy Starks. You, 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 right there, I would even throw in Hartline, even though uh, you know I kind of like Hartline. I, I would Hartline is willing to restructure, so I'm not going to throw him out yet. All right. Well, I mean, well, he's going to create. He's going to create some cap space there. I mean, heck, I mean, throw in Brandon Fields if you have to. I mean, I don't think they'll get rid of Earl Mitchell, but you could cut him before. I think you do like a bonus right at the same time Wallace is. They could cut him with no dead money. Uh, I mean, you can create it if you need to. I wouldn't cut him simple because you need the debt to. But yeah, I mean, you can cut. I mean, you can save ten million off the bat by Finnegan and and Starks. I mean, those are guys that are either going to be rotational guys or you're going to replace anyway. And you save you know ten plus million by cutting them. Brandon Gibson, you can cut four million off the cap by getting rid of him. And he's a guy who had like you know, 20 targets or something. Um, you know, you don't need that guy. Um, same, I mean, Ellerby's got like a $9 million cap hit or something, and the guy played like three snaps. He's already been replaced by Jelani Jenkins. You don't even need him. He's, he's as good as gone. He might as well start packing. Uh, you can designate Phil Wheeler as a uh, post-June first cut and give him an additional couple million out of that. And that guy was pretty much getting paid a pretty penny to rob the bench. I think he was averaging like 19% of the snaps or something. I mean, you're, people are worried about, oh, we're cutting this guy's when he dips, but you're cutting guys that weren't even playing last year or much, you know. Aside from Finnegan, who started, you know, would anybody miss those guys if they left that much? I mean, Probably nobody not. would. So, so, I mean, nobody's like, oh, we're losing Brandon Gibson. Who cares, you know. That's why you drafted Jarvis Landry. So, yeah, you can, you can they can create some cap space. I mean, they may not create – I think the Sun Sentinel said they could create up to forty million. I don't know how they pulled that off. I didn't read the article, but um, I, I just saw the headline for it. But yeah, I mean they they can find some money. No, well, that's a good thing because if we're supposed to, if we're going to take these recent reports to heart, it's that these these reagents necessarily want to come to Miami because of the uh, uncertainty of the coaching position. They want a place that we know that they know for sure is going to be their guy going forward, not Joe Philbin, who's a dead duck anyway, no matter what happens unless they make the playoffs. Oh boy, have I, I've thought about all this many, many times over the past two months. So. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, tie it up for tonight. I didn't even have to contribute much tonight. It was perfect. I just let you two. Uh, you went on much. a lot about Deion Jordan. Yeah, that whole thing is so frustrating. I'm I'm frustrated with this coaching staff as a whole. I'm frustrated that a move wasn't made. Uh, and the only thing I can think of is if you give it another year, then you can consider Laser as a, a head coach, and then you can go ahead and, and fix what needs to be taken care of right now, which is the defense. So, well, that's just my two cents for tonight. 
Uh, well, that's why we're here. We're here for you to vent, man. Ah, uh, yeah, it is venting too. Uh, it was great to have uh, both of you on. Uh, I consider you guys special guests. I hope that you'll join us again next week, uh, so we can we'll talk probably about the same things. But we'll be care. here, man. I look forward to it. So we can talk about the uh, the combine weigh-ins or the start of them at least. Um, in the meantime, uh, James, are you still there? I am. I'm right here. You are. Just, How come you uh, never talk? Uh, he's like the Wizard I, of Oz, kind of like the guy behind the curtain. I talked quite a bit at the beginning of the show. You just missed it. No, yeah. I was listening. James greases the wheel so this show can go. So <laughs> thanks. Uh, for, it was uh, it was wonderful working with you again. I'm glad to have you back as producer, and uh, I look forward to doing this many more times over the the next uh, next week, next month, or next few months, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I'll try to be on as much as I can. All right, yeah. Stop promoting your own show when you're on here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't say well, anything. Nah, I didn't even say the name of the website. I'm, I'm not a company man. I don't care what you do. So um, in, in, uh, for everyone, uh, James, uh, my special guest, uh, Duke and Lewis, I'm Keith. I'm back hosting the show every Thursday night, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. I can say that because I'm in Central. Uh, so... I don't want to give you guys the wrong time. So uh, until next Thursday, it's uh, been fun, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Good night. Good night, guys. Good night, gentlemen. Good night, everyone. Hi, I'm Mark from Marinda Safeway. We offer great savings on groceries, but did you know we also offer savings at the pump? Earn 10 cents off per gallon when you spend $100 at Safeway stores. Enter your phone number or swipe your club card at the register and earn points. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Maximum gas reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon and $1 per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com forward slash reward. This is Mark from Marinda Safeway, and we'll see you soon. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.